0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Test Tubes and Cauldrons, a podcast where we talk about the science behind spirituality. I'm Astra. I'm Honey. And I'm Phil. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about the science behind the Clares. But before we go ahead and get into that, we're going to do our What Happened on This Day. It is currently Sunday, October 10th. Not a whole lot, but we did find something funny. And because it's late and I'm immature, we're going to go with this one. There was the death of George Frederick Dick the first. He was an American physician and pathologist who, with his wife, Gladys Henry Dick. I'm sorry, that last name is just... Wow. Isolated (laughs) the hemolytic streptococcus that was the result of scarlet fever and created a vaccine against it in 1924. They also developed something called the Dick test. Wow, that just sounds so bad (laughs) coming out of my mouth, which is a test to determine susceptibility or immunity to scarlet fever by an injection of a purified exotoxin from the bacterium that causes the disease. Using Koch's postulates, the dicks show that scarlet fever is caused by streptococci. Bacteria were recovered from fever patients and then used to infect others, which is what confirmed this. And then the dick test, which is a skin test, is rarely used today for, you know, ethical reasons. You can't just go around injecting people with exotoxin. But what it was used, it was there to measure host antibody response. And my immaturity is out for the episode. Not really. It'll probably come back. Oh, yeah. I mean, this one's going to be buck wild, so... Yeah, this is gonna be a long one. So buckle in, pronounce Cox postulates. Okay. Wow, that that's even worse. Work. Yikes. <laughs> Anyways, all right, <laughs> moving on. So like I said, we're going to talk about the clairs today. So I think as Prudent, like we do most episodes, it is probably good to first define what a Claire actually is.
1: I'm going to start with the basics and then maybe Phil can elucidate on this. So Claire is just like a prefix for a whole bunch of terms which refer to, I guess, what you could call psychic abilities. So Claire comes from the French, meaning clear, and the term clairvoyance, which is, means clear sight, it's dated back approximately to the 19th century, but it was seen to be used slightly earlier in the 17th century. But in that context, it meant something more literal. So it really meant having clear sight or having insight. Whereas in the 19th century, it kind of took on this more psychic implication, if you like. And there are also other clair words which originated around this time. So maybe do you want to elucidate a little bit more about what the Claire's are?
2: Yeah, so pretty much for like many, many years, and even like from what I remember A lot of the, it was pretty much just clairvoyance was used for like everything. Clairsentience to some degree, but there's been kind of throughout the years, like people have expanded it from just beyond clairvoyance, which just means clear seeing to clairaudience, clear hearing. Clairsalience, which is clear smelling. You type in like, what are all the clairs? And you'll get websites with 50 different ones, break them down. But for the most part, you pretty much just see clairvoyance used as a unanimous, name historically at least
0: clairs are a big part of the witchcraft community right especially the i would say new age <laughs> quite a bit but also even in a lot of like energy work and psychic work but do you think there are abilities that overlap with the clairs or even can be misidentified with them i know something that i see is like people will have a tendency to use like predictability or routine as they'll claim that it's clear sentience or knowing when it's really just humans in general prefer pattern. And so almost everything can be predicted in one way or another. And there's very few things that are actually random. And so in that sense, when you predict something, it's really more of a matter of chance and like probability than it is actually knowing. So if you have a friend who does the same thing all the time, then you like predict it. That's not clear sentence. It's just prediction of a sort. I see that a lot.
1: Yeah, I think we'll probably get into this a bit later when we talk about kind of scientific tests, but there are a lot of statistical errors, I guess, that you can think of that our our brain tends to make that can be confused with player ability. So that might be like confirmation bias, might be a clustering illusion, which is this belief that things are occurring non-randomly when actually they are occurring randomly. As humans, we are actually really bad at estimating like when things are truly random things like availability error when you remember one outcome more readily than another so kind of like a, if you've got sort of blinders on you might think that you've seen something a particular number of times but actually you haven't and also an illusion of control I think those are the, the key ones that might lead somebody to think they've had a kind of more psychic experience but actually it is just an illusion
2: all righty okay I was very fascinated by the history of clairvoyance and how it's seen. And this is kind of, it got a little wild. I also apologize to anyone who speaks Hindi because... I'm about to butcher some terms. I tried really hard to look them up, but we'll see. One of the examples that kept coming up over and over again was in the Jainism religion, which is an ancient Indian religion. What's interesting in it is that it has five knowledges. So these five knowledges are sensory knowledge, scriptural knowledge, clairvoyance, telepathy, and omniscience. I went down a really deep rabbit hole. Found someone's thesis, <laughs> like just really, really went all out with this. Jainism promotes like telepathy and omniscience, which I thought was kind of fascinating. But then I, I was reading more deeply into it, and it is also deeply interconnected it was deeply interconnected and still is interconnected to the idea of karma uh, the karmic particles block your ability to achieve things like telepathy and omniscience which are of a sign not of enlightenment there's a, a spiritual level of an attainment i think is called avadhyan which is basically the highest level of spiritual purity in jainism clairvoyance is kind of a way to achieve this in a way. Like it's not like it's like everyone has the ability to be clairvoyant, but clairvoyance is neither here nor there. Like it doesn't. It's not necessarily a sign of spiritual attainment. So it can help or harm. This I thought was interesting. It says if an individual had like a deluded worldview, their clairvoyance would be false clairvoyance. This idea had existed in this religion since the B.C.E. Like it's very very old idea of clairvoyance which they specifically called, yeah, av- Avadigyan, I think. I found different ways to pronounce that. <laughs> then I actually was reading a spiritualist text in French from the French thinker Paul sedir In his text, he actually mentions a lot of ideas that are found in Jainism. It was kind of funny to me because I was reading through this text and suddenly he starts talking about like kundalini yoga and chakras and karma. And it's like this text from 1907. And I was like, "What <laughs> it is happening here. So it's very clear that this idea, which makes sense given the time period of the 19th century, that a lot of these Eastern philosophies were kind of being pulled into spiritualism. And we talked a lot about that in our psychics and paranormal episode, I believe where we talked a lot about the sort of appropriation of the spiritualist community and just how the the fetishization of the East and how some of these ideas kind of got intermingled. There's a lot of history there between Jainism and spiritualism, then also into things like theosophy. That kept coming up too when I was looking at the history of clairvoyance was, was theosophy and the various offshoots of it. A lot of spiritualists obviously claimed to be clairvoyant. That was kind of their whole shtick. And there seems to be a stark split between people who use clairvoyance for mystical reasons and religious reasons and people use clairvoyance because they're charlatans. And we can see this split with the spiritualists. Paul Seydir was actually a Christian. He was a Christian mystic. And he also had a complex view of the of clairvoyance. Kind of, I feel like a lot of the way that we view clairvoyance now is a little bit watered down. But he I read through some of his works. They're only in French, so it took me a while to get through them. But he had I can put some of these charts in our Discord um, and link some of them in the description. But he had like a bunch of like charts of like the different parts of humanity it was physical nature natured nature which i guess is a latin or medieval latin thought of nature that has already been created which i was like i'm not quite sure how that differs from physical nature but okay then there was humanity and then kind of like the more spiritual and then like it's a fun chart to look at i'll put translations to it too he had this like complex idea of through meditation and working the body and entering this deeply trance-like state That one's astral body, and he uses that term, astral body, and body of light, that one could then see or hear. He also called it sage, which obviously that being knowledge. And I also think there's a distinction that we begin to see. And a lot of times, like the people who are like the clairvoyants for charlatan reasons are often more in the predicting of the future which is kind of what people in like the mundane world associate clairvoyance with of like being able to predict the future. Whereas a lot of people also see clairvoyance as being able to see what is beyond, like seeing beyond your current reality. So I find that interesting is that there's that split between a more mystic mindset and a more charlatan mindset, a more con man mindset, and how there's this kind of split between what is future telling what is seen beyond and kind of how those things mix together.
1: I thought it was really interesting as well, because there were some examples of what I guess you could refer to as clairvoyance in other cultures as well, like um, Hellenized Egypt was one that I found. But the the thing was that Christianity largely rejected these ideas of clairvoyance. So they kind of faded out of vogue to an extent during the Middle Ages. Um, of course, you did have things like astrology that were u- used for divination. So it's not as if there was no divination but this idea of kind of clairvoyance was suppressed a little bit but then it came really back into vogue during the 19th century and i can only guess it's like just what you said with the fetishization of eastern culture theosophy bringing that over this christianity kind of embraced it again in certain circles so you had like mystic
0: christians kind of harmonizing these ideas
2: but yeah clairvoyance is a very weird and interesting and i feel like when people say clairvoyance they mean like eight different things
0: it is funny when people say clairvoyance oftentimes it's if you ask them to elaborate on what they mean they're often talking about one specific t- like Claire, and not actually clairvoyance but to think it's just it's funny to hear that they'll say something and you're like oh it's like what do you mean and then they're like oh I actually mean this other thing and I'm like okay so let's talk about each Claire sense and break it down a little bit and then talk about potential science behind it if there is any and our thoughts on it so let's go ahead and start with one that we've already kind of touched on which is clairvoyance and like we've said earlier it essentially means clear sight there has been a question of debate be of whether it's actually different to precognition I think there needs to be a distinction between remote viewing which is often referred to as clairvoyance and precognition which is the viewing of events before they happen but that being said the term clairvoyance is sometimes colloquially used for a free to future site but it kind of like fell explained right it depends on which camp you're really looking into or Are we looking at the kind of mystic side where it's more of Clairvoyance in terms of, like, seeing beyond the physical world or the mundane, or are we talking about clairvoyance in terms of, like, fortune telling and future, which seems to be more of a money-making?
2: Here's a quote from Psychic Witch uh, by Matt Aron. Clairvoyance is experienced in two different ways, internal clairvoyance and external clairvoyance. Internal clairvoyance is the ability to see something on the screen of your mind. External clairvoyance is the ability to see an overlay of vision over your regular sensory sight. So he go in Psychic Witch, he talks about some clairvoyance is like your, some people view it as your mind's eye, almost like if you imagine something, which is hard to explain. (laughs) But then the other form of clairvoyance is physically seeing something that's not there. That was also a distinction I had never heard before, but it makes sense that there is kind of, you know, you see those people. On TikTok or you hear about those people and this has been going on forever like even before TikTok where they're just like I saw I saw Apollo and it's like well what do you mean saw right that's always a question do you mean like literally or do you mean like in your mind's eye and I think that gets confused with the Claire's a lot. Kind
1: of leading on from what Phil was saying about the different definitions, I think science also has some different definitions. And this has been an area of research for a little while, especially in the 1960s, because there was real eagerness to use psychic powers to perhaps in the Cold War and also for kind of military purposes. It was a re- There was a real kind of emphasis on how it could be utilized and sort of commercialized, I suppose. It is kind of hard to test clairvoyance because the definition is so wishy-washy. So one method that is frequently used is forced choice experiments. So a forced choice experiment is basically used to assess both clairvoyance and precognition by making a participant choose a target among a set of decoys. So your target is usually randomly chosen. It might be chosen before the participant makes their selection of the target, so that tests clairvoyance, or after they make their selection, testing precognizance. So the hit rate for the correct target choice is compared to the probability of the choice being due to chance. And obviously, if they have a higher than due to chance, a parapsychologist might say, well, this is evidence that this person is clairvoyant. You can kind of see that this is really taking it away from the kind of more mystic view. This is really more about the ability to control that kind of clairvoyant sense and, and you know, remotely view something or predict something. It's, a, it, it's defined quite strictly. So, these studies, along with the Gansfeld experiments that we mentioned in the Psychics and the Paranormal episode, are kind of the bread and butter of parapsychology, but they're not without their flaws. Uh, Potential issues with experimental design include sensory leakage, feedback from experimenters in allowing individuals to cheat on the test, lack of proper randomization. We kind of mentioned in our tech episode how randomization is actually quite hard to get right. And then systematic issues like optional stopping. So, this is when a researcher might run a trial lots and lots and lots of times until they get the results they want or stacking effects where you have lots of participants and they're compared against the same data set the target data set and that can give you a kind of weird statistical artifact so i kind of want to discuss a few of these trials on whether they have any merit so the first one i found was testing of a cont- controversial psychic under controlled conditions and this trial included just one participant his name was olaf johnson um, he was a swedish born psychic with some notoriety attached to his name as well as reportedly being caught cheating during psychic trials at duke university something that this study author disputed. at length by the way he also undertook telepathic experiments to space in 1971 where he tried to receive telepathic signals from the astronaut edgar mitchell aboard the apollo 14. the trial failed he did not receive telepathic signals from space so we have a background for why they wanted to test this guy because he had a lot of notoriety and as an object of ridicule for the parapsychology community. So they wanted to prove that he was actually a psychic. So he was subject to 288 trials on this thing called the ESP assizer So ESP is extrasensory perception, which is kind of a thing that encompasses clairvoyance. And it's basically a computer which displays signals to the participant. So these are your, your decoys amongst which your target will be there. And they're chosen at random using some kind of random number generator thing that all of has to do in this test. He has to, has to choose the correct symbol basically, which is the target pros for this include the fact that the data collection was automated. So it shouldn't, he shouldn't be able to cheat on this. In theory, also, the sensory leakage should be minimised by the effect it is on a computer. And finally, he was also asked to rate how confident he was in his answer. So the results of this trial, he correctly identified 88 target, which is a slight increase over what you'd expect from chance. This is 72. This is out of 288, so this is still quite a low hit rate. Notably, the answers that he had the highest confidence in had the highest hit rate. My question to you is, do you think that this is good evidence of him having psychic abilities and what else could be going on in this study? I feel like I just watched Astra like
0: <laughs> I okay <laughs> So here's the thing. 80 like if 72 is chance, 80 that that's not significant enough for me to be for me personally to be convinced especially out of 288 trials that I mean, means he got 200 incorrect, which is quite a large number. I guess I have a couple of questions because I like, I view a lot of things in, in patterns, and so it's really easy for me to pick up patterns out of things. And so it could be possible that he was, was similar. And if, for instance, I was playing the same sequence of the shapes every single time, then naturally, you will try and kind of piece out a pattern go with that as like your means of making a decision. However, if they shuffle the like the shapes for each trial, then that could make that more difficult. So then maybe there is more to it. I'm not convinced. Like I said, it's pretty close to random chance. That's not doing it for me. So curious to hear your thoughts.
2: I don't know. I'm just not a big believer that it's something that can be forced. I feel like it's just something that kind of happens. So I'm always a bit dubious. I mean, yeah, it's, it's... Being a little bit better than chance, that doesn't mean that it, it wasn't also like a chance happening. You know, like you could have just chanced to get more. I do find it interesting that the answers she was most confident on were the ones that were, were hits. I think there might be something to that, but I don't necessarily think it's a skill that you can really, really hone and target in such a way i feel like if that was the case here a lot more cases of psychics finding a killer right but there was a case where like someone from my hometown did dream about this murder and what actually happened and she ended up being correct however she was also an atheist essentially (laughs) she believed that this was real but yeah like she wasn't super spiritual and kind of like afterwards she kind of just moved on and like didn't you know she didn't try to become a career psychic it was like a one-off thing ended up actually being correct yeah so I, I think it's more of like a, a chance thing and not necessarily a skill yeah I definitely
1: agree with that I, I don't think it's a skill that can be honed I also wonder how they decided on the number of trials for this like did, it, did they just do the optional stopping thing where they said okay right we're just going to keep running trials until he hits just above chance right and also what the range is because I don't think that my maths my, my, my lack of statistical ability is showing here but I think that though um, if you were scoring somewhere close to chance there would be a range of numbers that you could get right you wouldn't just it wouldn't be like Seventy two is exactly chance, right? So I, I think that he's probably scoring maybe just outside that range, which is does test significantly which with the um type of test they use, but it's a lot of like fuckery with numbers to actually get there.
0: Well, yeah, and like with the statistical analysis, I mean like scientifically speaking, if you were to go to any paper and let's say that you're statistical significance was, like, only a couple of units above what, like, the random chance would be, nobody would consider that significant. Your paper wouldn't probably be accepted and you'd be sad and, you know, go do more research. Even if it's just slightly above, like, that is not enough in accordance with, like, most kind of statistical, like, barriers to be considered relevant at all, which is kind of why it is even more questionable. The number of trials is interesting. I wonder why it was like 288 and not just like 300 or 500 or something like that. Maybe it was a time constraint, you know, who knows, but um, I don't know if anything would have changed if they caught any higher. Well, that does bring up a good point where if you are going to do some kind of randomized trial like this, you do need to have a lot of quote-unquote data points, which is what each of these trials were, because if they'd only done 100 trials and he got 88 of them right then like that would have seemed like a really good success right but the more you do the better the output that you get and the more accurate you can come to a conclusion.
1: I'm so glad you mentioned increased sample size because now you understand what a forced choice experiment is we are going to go bigger. So the next experiment I have to tell you about is the mind machine which is very exciting and the study opens with a review of the literature And it notes that meta-analyses of forced choice experiments, they're usually methodologically flawed. Like the evidence quality included in these meta-analyses tend to be quite poor. And we can link the meta-analyses for you to read if you're interested. Um, So this study basically noted these flaws and aimed to perform a more methodologically rigorous forced choice experiment to assess clairvoyance and precognizance in the general population in Britain. So how did they do it? Well, they invented the mind machine, which was effectively just a large steel box with a touchscreen inside. The screen contains videos to guide you through the experiment, so there's no researcher involved. They can't influence you, in theory. And both of the factors were selected to reduce this kind of sensory leakage. To prevent the optional stopping effects that I mentioned before, the trial number was pre-selected by the researchers. So in total, they received 250,000 data points, of which uh, 110,000 were data on clairvoyance, but I'll tell you more about that in a moment. This meant that there was a huge sample size, which was 27,856 people. So to actually get this number of people, um, they took the Mind Machine on tour to various high football areas around the UK. They took this machine to shopping centres, museums, science festivals, and they asked members of the public to come participate. And it was only two and a half minutes long, so it was quite easy for people to participate. And it also meant that the research pool wasn't pre-screened or selected. So this is just the general populace. This isn't screening you know, self-proclaimed psychics or people with kind of spiritual experience. And you could argue that that's a bias, but we'll get to that. And obviously a large sample size allows them to detect small effect sizes. The experiment itself is very simple. They're basically presented with four coin tosses, um, and the participant has to guess whether the coin will land heads versus tails each time. To prevent the kind of stacking effect I mentioned, each participant had a sequence generated just for them, and they evaluated every coin coin toss separately to prevent bias from one choice affecting another. So this is kind of like what you were saying with the pattern matching astral, like somebody might guess heads twice and then they might be influenced to think, oh, well, it's gonna be heads the next time, or maybe it'll be tails the next time. They noticed that had a slight effect, but it was only like 1%, but they analyzed them separately just to make sure that it wasn't affecting their results. Finally, there was some data on their confidence on the guess, the gender, belief in their psychic ability. boring results. Basically every single group in this really large trial exactly replicated chance everything psychic ability or not male female it was absolutely about 50 50 so what do you think do you think this is a good experiment bad experiment do you think there are maybe flaws like that, how, what would a parapsychologist say about this experiment
2: wasn't there an experiment that we talked about a couple of episodes ago in which it was like a control group and like there was like the psychics and then there was like the kind of the, the non-psychics and they score didn't the non psychic score a little higher (laughs) which i find funny honestly i feel like every time they do these studies they honestly always come out the same same conclusions i have yet to see a study that is
0: remarkable enough
2: (laughs) that's like not that hadn't been like obviously messed with i honestly feel like they're just gonna keep coming out the same
0: I do like that they varied or, like, they analyzed each choice separately, so we don't have this kind of stacking bias that there could have been in the previous experiment. And in terms of testing the general public, yeah, I mean, you could certainly argue that, like, the general public maybe doesn't have psychic abilities. However, at the same time, if everybody is capable of clairvoyance, psychic, which suggests and has been suggested at other places, then, like, shouldn't matter right? I mean, if everybody is capable of it, then we should see some kind of statistical data that would kind of confirm that, or not even confirm, but like support that hypothesis. But the fact that everything is random chance amongst all these groups, it just, it, to me, suggests that it's not a thing. I think, Fella, it kind of hit the nail on the head on what I actually think with that. It's like you read my mind. (laughs) Ooh, psychic. (laughs) There you go, Fella. you're psychic. I guess we'll see that in a second. But yeah, it's it's more of a thing, <laughs> thing that happens when you're not expecting it, and if you try to force it to occur, it like it won't. But even then, in this experiment, right, it was super random. People just like did it; they weren't trying to force anything to occur, and it was still a random chance. So yeah, I don't know. I people continuously test these things; the results are always the same. I don't know that there is a way to like definitively study this. Their experiment seemed. Good. I mean, it was, like, well-planned, clearly. The fact that they didn't include just psychics, well, you know, I don't know, I would have kind of, I think, preferred to have a psychic group and a control group just so there could be, like, more defined lines. But they did analyze each group individually and separately, so that kind of makes up for it in a way.
1: So they discussed this, and they kind of came out on the side of the, the non-believers, but they, they did say one argument that could be made is that this environment is not really conducive to psychic experiences. Which I, I agree with. Like, if you go into like a, a, a small metal box for two and a half minutes in like a shopping center, I, I don't think that you're going to be like attuned to your higher self or, or, or whatever else. I mean, I don't personally believe that psychic abilities are something that you can
0: control. And I think that this is evidence of that.
1: Yeah, I think you could reasonably make that argument that it is not exactly the most conducive environment.
0: But then, what counts as a conditional environment? Because, like, let's think about psychic shops and stuff, right? I mean, that's an environment which is like enhanced to to bring about that kind of trance state, to like make it easier, I suppose you could say. But most people, when they have these kind of psychic experiences, at least when they report it. They're not in that kind of environment. I mean, transit is one thing, but you hear people talking about how they like saw a shadow while they were walking along the street. It's not necessarily in environments that are conducive to psychic abilities. So even that in and of itself, I think is, it's a reasonable argument to make on the side of psychics but at the same time I don't think it's like a full explanation because a lot of people have experiences that are and they are in conducive environments to do so. There
1: as I mentioned in the literature and also in a study that we'll bring up later emotional experiences might be more inclined to appear in psychic experiences so I mean you can see this with maybe people having a psychic experience related to somebody who has you know died or gone missing or if they're themselves in an emotional state, Rudolf Steiner mentioned in his writings on clairvoyance that the emo- your emotional state can actually influence how you perceive what he-, he refers to as the spiritual realm. So I think you can make an argument that there are certain states which maybe are more conducive to these experiences, but as to whether that's going to help you with a coin toss, I just don't think that's
0: the case. Yeah, that's fair. Are we going to do our experiment? Yes. Okay, so we're going to try this for ourselves, basically, and do a little experiment here on the podcast. I don't How does this work?
2: All right, I will open it up. Okay, so there are... So on the side, you open up the link, and you see procedures. So if clairvoyance is for testing yourself. But if we want to do telepathy, which I think would be fun, try to send each other (laughs) messages with our brain. So when you click start with that, for example, it'll show me the card. And says, so then, like, I try to send you with my brain which card it is, and then you have to pick which one you think it is, and I'll tell you if you're right or not. So these are the, what are these
1: called? Uh, Xena cards. Xena
2: card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just read out what they are for our viewers. There's like a little circle, there's like a cross. There's three squiggly lines, there's a square, and a star. I guess we could also play along at home with this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we'll link it in the episode description, you can play along. But the thing is, like, is that going to confound our results?
1: Because in theory, what if we're precognizant, and they're all sending us mixed messages? Like, this is going to mess up our controls, guys. Do not send us telepathic signals.
2: (laughs) Okay, so am I sending both of you this image? I guess. Or
0: do you want to do it? Yeah, I said it to us both.
2: <laughs> okay, I don't know how to do this. Just, like, think real hard. Okay, no, I'm going to try to be as, like, in the mindset of a psychic as I can. It's going to be hard, but I'll we do should it. Have,
0: we should have done this when we were drinking mugwort tea. We oh, would have actually in right. maybe... the right state.
2: We'll have to do a bonus crazy episode. We'll do, like, a bunch of experiments. A bunch okay. of magical experiments. Okay. All right. You guys know what all the cards are? Yeah. Okay. What is it? I guess maybe each of you... I guess you it's say, the at third.
0: the same time
2: yes yeah
0: both of you say it at the same time okay okay
2: one two three Wait. Lines. both of you thought yes, it's the, the same thing <laughs> but both of
0: you are wrong <laughs> <laughs> it's the plus sign <laughs> the plus
1: sign oh yeah.
0: okay Hanny, do you want to go next i'm sending psychic signals now <laughs>
1: Let me know when you want to guess. I'm just kind of waiting for you to receive my signal.
2: <laughs> okay, I think I've received a signal. Me too.
1: And three, two, one. Circle. Star. No. <laughs> Wait,
2: <laughs> it was
0: what
2: was square. It? it was a square.
0: <laughs> okay, but Our, you know what? I was between square or circle. I couldn't, or square or star. I couldn't decide. Oh. Star. Oh, no, okay. All right, my turn. I'm gonna make this psychic, like, classical image. I'm kidding. Okay. Sending it to you now. It sounds like you're sending me a document. You're going to download document. it with <laughs> that word that we Okay, okay. Okay. Ready?
1: Mm-hmm. Three, two, one.
0: Stop. Really the plus sign. hit oh oh <laughs> oh right?
1: Matt Oren is sh- screaming. <laughs>
2: I guess our viewers in, in our Discord, let us know if you got any hits. Yeah. <laughs> so the first one was a plus sign. The second one was a square. And the third one was also a plus sign, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So those are your answers. Wow. That was. <laughs>
0: that was crazy. Oh, so, well, none of us are have any kind of clear abilities. So good to know. Well, maybe we do. This is only one test, right? Who knows? Okay. That was fun. (laughs) Let's get back to the episode. So
1: basically, there was this team that aimed to put the question of uh, psychic ability to bed once and for all by using neuroimaging. Uh, Whether or not they did so, I'll let you judge. But uh, basically, we talk a lot on this podcast about neuroimaging, all its faults and foibles. And this is, if you don't know already, um, usually something like fMRI, which utilizes magnetic resonance to look at blood flow or glucose usage in particular parts of the brain. By scanning people while they perform particular tasks, we can gain insight into which regions of the brain might be active and therefore important in certain processes. It's a field that's brought with controversy, though, with some critics going as far to call it modern phrenology due to poor standardization between studies and the lack of granularity in the technique used. With those details in mind, let's examine the next study, which queries which what neuroimaging can tell us about the clairs. So basically, they... Their supposition for this study was that if psi exists it must occur in the brain and you might disagree with the statement but this is the this is kind of their kind of materialist paradigm this is what they're saying it must be testable it must occur in the brain and so neuroimaging in theory should therefore be more sensitive than indirect behavioral measures like we've discussed previously so in this study they use fmri which looks at blood oxygenation levels and kind of tells you how much areas of the brain are respiring. So basically, they kind of did the experiment that we just did, except one person was in the fMRI machine, and so they are the person guessing, and then there's somebody outside the fMRI machine who is playfully—that's how they describe it—sending um, an image. They didn't use the image that we the images that we mentioned though. They spe- used specific images which were emotional because, as I mentioned, there's this idea that emotional closeness might. Promote psychic ability, and finally, the the senders and receivers had high emotional closeness. So, some of these were identical twins, some were sisters, some were roommates. There were Sixteen pairs in total included, but they think the idea was that they're supposed to be close enough that they can sort of talk to one another telepathically. And so, the individual was show was actually shown an image. They were asked to to, to guess whether they were being telepathically communicated with. Basically, I think so. The hypothesis is that their brain should show different activity if they're shown a kind of a psychic stimulus, so the image with the telepathic signal, versus a non-psychic stimulus, so just the image. Again, really boring results. I pretty much everybody really showed exactly the same results, whether or not they were receiving a psychic signal. There was one person who showed lower activation when they were not receiving a psychic stimulus. But because this is just one person in a whole group of 32, this might just be an artifact, like something weird with their brain. They might be thinking about something which is kind of affecting the decision-making process. And also they guessed pretty much according to chance. So the, the authors refer to this as the strongest evidence yet against liabilities. abilities So what are your thoughts? Do you think that this is like really strong evidence like they claim? Or do you think that this is maybe overstating the study's abilities?
0: In all fairness, the psychic uh, community, I think we need to say something about the fact that like, I can't believe I'm saying this. But depending on how you, <laughs> depending on how you think the signals are are actually being sent, like what means, I guess they take to like go from one person to another. You could argue that the signal is somehow being disrupted by the fMRI machine, right? And so it's not actually being able to be transferred from one person to another. So in fairness, that could be what's ha- what happened, and that's why it's random. Like it turned out to be random chance. I think that requires us to get into a discussion of energy in a non-scientific sense and also pull in some stuff that shouldn't exist in terms of science um and psychic ability and telepathy and all of that so i won't get in i won't get into all that but that is one explanation that is like a i'm sorry psychic community we didn't think about this type of deal on the other hand i do think the fact i don't necessarily know that the lack of activity In a given region based upon oxygenation, oxygenation is like supporting evidence that this like transfer of an emotional memory didn't happen from one person to another. Because I don't know if, do parts of our brain become more active if you like engage with or have an experience with a clairvoyance in this case. I don't necessarily know if that would actually happen because it's not like it's a chemical distinction or anything right it definitely seems like it's more mental in nature I mean theoretically I suppose you should see that on a brain scan like some part of your brain light up but I don't really know if that's the best way to measure this kind of thing of course I don't have an alternative <laughs> suggestion so you know maybe they know more than I do probably in this this uh, realm I I did find it interesting that the identical twins, nothing happened, because that's, like, the thing that everybody tries to prove, right, is that identical twins, like, have some kind of psychic connection. It's an interesting study, and I don't know if it's the strongest evidence, but it is some evidence. I'm suggesting that this this isn't the case.
2: I would be curious to see psychics set up their own experiment, you know, with the help of people. I mean, I'm not saying psychics necessarily don't know, like, how to make their own experiments but if they had like someone who does study design like work with them to design their own study I would be very curious to see what they would come up with and what the results might be yeah because I feel like we've had the same experiment over and over again and it's usually like skeptic proves their point which like I do think there is you know I mean I stated kind of my beliefs in that like I don't think it's a skill that can be honed but on the other hand skeptic proves belief is already like confirmation
1: bias happening so
2: i would be curious to see psychics do their own
1: there are quite a lot of studies from the 1960s but um, i couldn't actually access them however a lot of the titles are very interesting there was um something like a two-year program of psychic tests done on like middle schoolers or something so they were they were subject to to testing for for two two years um i I would love to know what what they found in theory um, there were things like testing if clairvoyance was different between sheep and goats. Couldn't access it. Absolutely fascinated to know what the results were. But I think the reason that um, I didn't include some of the more recent ones is that the methodological design is just bad. <laughs> um, so I guess yeah, it's it's difficult to find a good study that is run by a parapsychologist. My apologies to parapsychologists out there. But yeah, it's it's just not something that's easily testable. I think.
0: Yeah, it's a hard thing to test. I mean. I don't know if there is a good way to do it. I would. It, it would be very interesting, I think, because I think it was in our Divination and Astrology episode where there was an astrology study done that used astrologers but also had people who were heavily involved in, like, study design to make it, like, a scientifically quote-unquote rigorous process with the advice and counsel of the astrologers so that it was fair to both sides. I think that's something that maybe the parapsychology field could really benefit from that way you get both some aspect of scientific rigor and also you're, you're not neglecting the, the psychic or the paranormal side that most psychics when they read these studies are like oh well you didn't like account for this or this is unfair and how it was set up and you know so on and so forth. It'd be an interesting study if someone managed to pull together. But we spent a lot of time on clairvoyance, so maybe let's move on to some of the other ones about clairaudience. So, remember, this is the one I think with hearing.
1: How did you find evidence of this used historically?
0: So, what's weird about the clairs is that
2: they're hard to like, they're, we talked a lot about more of the like practical clairvoyance or clairs where it's testable right like I mentioned the more like practical kind of clairvoyance and then there's the other kind of clairs that are more mystically inclined and I feel like those are hard to categorize both historically and scientifically because a lot of things could fall under clairaudience right or anything really hearing the voice of Apollo as the Pythia you know that could be considered a form of clairaudience like, the one list I looked at was like, Jesus was a clairvoyant. And I was like, what? Okay, then. So I think it's like, yes, this is definitely, they're definitely seen historically. The thing I was reading brought up, Christian saints. It happens all the time. Like, Marjorie Kemp, for an example. She, well, although she was going to say she was in that, but whatever. So Marjorie Kemp saw Jesus, right? She was like, be in church in her diaries, talk about her seeing and hearing and feeling all of these things, but they weren't actually happening, and she knew that to some degree. So that's why I feel like that aspect the mystical side of clairvoyance and clairaudience, etc., is hard to because it's kind of like the crux in some ways of a lot of mystical experiences, right? Or at least that terminology is a bit weird. That idea of seeing or hearing beyond is, I think, a, a lot of mystical experiences. Yeah, I
1: definitely agree. I think we need more kind of soft uh, soft sciences or like social sciences to investigate this, I think, that it's not something that we can just measure and, and you know, subject people to to uh, choosing experiments or um, ask them to see what they kind of saw in a really controlled environment, because this is not just not how most people describe psychic experiences. One thing I did find about Claire Audience was a really tiny, tiny study of 16 people, and basically compared people with a diagnosed psychotic disorder versus People who say that they hear voices, so they kind of might describe this as clairaudience, but they, they describe this as kind of in a healthy way. So they don't have a diagnosed psychotic disorder. They don't have um, issues with employment, which were seen more highly in the psychotic group. They had lower levels of distress. And so I think there's room to discuss what is a normal human experience and what this looks like kind of in the population rather than trying to force it and test it. Because there's a, obviously, voice hearing can be a manifestation of a, a psychotic disorder, but there is some evidence that it is kind of, it can, it can be normal, it can be kind of transient in in people, and maybe that's not something that's been explored uh, to a great, uh, great degree.
0: Yeah, I agree with with all of what you guys have said. I think it's really hard to test, like, under the rigor of the scientific method. I'm not sure it's something that should be tested <laughs> under the scientific method just because it's such a unmeasurable thing it's very personal right I think a lot of like the Claire audience and the one with with the smelling and and this all of that I th- a lot of it is very personal I think and so I think it it lends itself more to confirmation bias than it does anything else or this thought where like maybe you, you've been thinking about something and so then you experience something related to it. Or, you know, you were missing a family member who passed and maybe the next day you smell something that like reminds you of them. And so it's kind of, I think it lends itself more to confirmation bias than anything, which is where people I think really need to be really careful. But Hannah, you brought up a good point about like the mental health and everything. I think that is something that we as a community need to be super careful about. Not letting mental health disorders be kind of blanketed and called a Claire um, sense of any kind when it's really just our brains being being weird and doing some shit like be cognizant of that when we're talking about the Claire's but don't automatically assume that just because you experience something it's it's is spiritual in nature I always recommend looking at mundane reasons first but enough of my ranting about that let's move on to the next one which is Claire's salience, so that's the one where it's our ability to smell.
1: Yes, I completely failed to find very much about this. That wasn't like people's blogs. <laughs> um, when I, I'm not saying that you know those people's experiences are invalid, but I couldn't find very much about it being investigated scientifically. I couldn't find much of it, um, much evidence of it in history. Maybe because the kind of Claire term was only adopted in the kind of nineteenth century. I know. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like, I think that the link to sort of olfactory sensations maybe could imply a link to memory because smell I think is very highly linked to memory. And so the idea of that kind of triggering um, sort of a almost like a vision in your mind, that's not so difficult to understand. But other than that, I couldn't really find much about this in the sort of broader sense.
0: Yeah, you brought up a great point. Is actually something I was gonna talk about, which is that like smell is associated with memory in, in many ways. It's why people tell you to, spray something on your wrist or chew a certain piece of gum when you're studying and then do the same during a test because it helps memory, memory recollection like that's that's a, a valid thing and it's been a scientifically like confirmed methodology but i think the issue that i have with clear salience specifically is just that again i think a lot of it's confirmation bias or things like something i had my friend where she smelled a smoke from a cigar and her grandfather who had died a couple weeks prior, like used to smoke cigars pretty regularly in the household. Um, but it was like actually coming from this guy who was smoking a cigar around the corner that we couldn't see. And so it's one of those things where like, I just think clear salience, especially is something that can be so influenced by your environment that it would be hard for me to actually consider it to be real just because of how easily influenced it is
2: so there's an exercise in psychic witch about kind of how you strengthen this claire right and it it basically is like a blindfolded test i believe and it has something to do with like blindfolding yourself and then like trying to you you smell the the smell right something strong say mint and then like a couple minutes later you try to remember like you try to recall the feeling of that smell and like you gradually work up and up until you can just like do it Uh, this is the one i struggle with a lot uh matt Aron's psychic which actually does have some you know i have some issues with it he does have some like actually really interesting tests that are helpful for like exercising the mind's eye whatever you want to call it clairvoyant he calls it the clairs i call it the mind's eye (laughs) whatever you want to call it that's actually kind of like helpful for embodying experiences which I find really interesting for me clairsalience or whatever trying to recall smells is impossible for me which is funny because I'm really sensitive to smells so I find that very interesting
1: I actually find that really funny because I'm I don't know maybe I've not mentioned it on the podcast before but um, I collect perfumes, and so like smelling things and like recalling notes is something that I do like every single day I've never had a clairsalient experience before but um so I don't know if the testing is just not working or maybe I'm just not particularly psychologically, uh, psychically sensitive. But yeah, I think it, I think it is interesting and it's also definitely a skill. It reminds me of uh, people who go on this like, have you ever heard of people being employed as like wine tasters and things? And I have to go through like really intensive courses of smelling and like separating things out. It's yeah, it's, it's very, very um, intensive.
0: There's a YouTube channel called Epicurious and they have a series where they have like um, experts in their fields come in and do like wine tasting and they have to pick out like which one is the expensive wine versus like the cheap wine or the expensive coffee versus like the cheap coffee and that's always really interesting to me because a lot of times they'll like smell it before they taste it and based on the smell alone they can usually determine like which one is which and does that come from olfactory recollection maybe I don't know um Probably, I would imagine, like, if it's connected to memory. I will
2: say there are some studies that are don't look too favorably in sommeliers' (laughs) directions. Like, there was one where they were trying to, they, like, altered the color of, of like, red wine and white wine. And they were not able to tell the difference. There was other ones where they added, like, fake notes into things. There's also been uh, studies done on, like, how much someone can actually taste. Like, this has notes of this, but can you actually taste it? Um, So that's actually, those are, those are always really interesting.
0: I think that also speaks to the fact that a lot of our senses, they work collectively, right, as a whole to produce an experience. And so when we're talking about clear senses in in a similar fashion, I think they work collectively as a whole I don't necessarily know that one person in particular will only experience like one Claire in kind of the the fullest fashion. I think in many times they're kind of all subtly coming together to elicit a specific experience.
1: The thing for me is like bridging that gap between developing your sense of smell and olfactory memory to that then being like a psychic thing or like being able to use that to detect things like i think he mentions it like in this kind of spirit world or I, I that's the kind of leap that i haven't made necessarily made yet i'm not sure quite how to connect those things but i'm not saying it's not true um i just haven't kind of reached that point
2: so in things like uh Les Miroirs Magiques by paul cedir the book that i was reading he talks a little bit about this he basically talks uh, using a lot of lingo that i think a lot of us can recognize it also felt very chaos magic-y, which was very interesting to me, in that one needed to silence the mind. He kept kind of talking about that, that one needed to silence the physical mind so the spiritual mind could then perceive these things. He talks a lot about silencing the mind through meditation or kundalini yoga, which he did bring up, which was weird to read in a book from 1907, and doing entering a state of ecstasy, for example, through various techniques, and then like learning to separate them out in these extremes. So started with noticing your physical environment, right? Like very much in your ego, noticing your feelings, and then on the complete opposite side, out of your mind, in trance, like totally not physical, and then slowly being able to kind of control the mind. He called it the fields of the soul, the fields of the mind. That was a word I had trouble translating. Which I found interesting, of like going going into the fields of the mind. He said, "Yeah, almost being able to tame it in a sense, so that way the gap could be bridged." Which I think is like a, a concept in like a lot of chaos magic. For example, when Capt was on, he talked a lot about silencing the mind. We we hear a lot about that, and even in, in Psychic Witch, he he has a lot of guided meditations that are meant to kind of quiet the ego mind and like bring forth the spiritual. Mind, the spiritual body, whatever you want to call it. So that seems to be like an idea that has shifted culturally. Like even Pythagoras, Pythagoras, he kind of had this idea of soul projection, of purifying the body and being able to detach the soul from the body in order to, what do you say, in order to like talk with the gods and talk with spirits and other entities. And that it was only after you were able to do this that you were able to kind of have these experiences in the day to day, I guess. In some way, I think. There are skills to be honed, but I don't think that these skills can be targeted right. I don't think I will ever be on the train and hear my cat meow and know exactly when he's meowing. I don't think that's possible. But I do think there can be moments of I hear something and then it ends up there's a synchronicity there. But I I think that is more to do with the divine than it does to do with my own skill set. I hope any of that made sense.
1: (laughs) No, actually, it, that made lots of sense, actually. It kind of bridged the gap a little bit for me. And also, I, I agree with your point on the divine. I feel like that's also been my, my experience.
0: Okay, so let's maybe quickly touch on the last one, which is the um, sentience or cognizance. So this is the clear feeling that people typically describe.
1: So I, when I was looking this up, I found that a lot of places were describing this as like having a gut feeling about something, which I think would also be comparable to intuition. But... Then I think, Phil, you had a different definition of this, right? Like it being more to do with actual like, physical touch.
2: But now I'm rereading the section that I was looking at from Psychic Witch, what he say? So clairsentience, he describes as psychic physical sensations within the body, which is interesting that he separates that between that and tangency. although I don't think he separates, continues to separate it out for uh, the rest of the book. So I think with the distinction that he's making there, is that their sentience is because emotions are physically based, right? It's, it's not just like everything is, things are based in your body, even though people kind of forget that. So I think it's this idea he's described it as like an internal feeling. So I think it's a little bit different than a, a gut feeling it might have something more to do with empaths the the type of empaths of feeling a certain like if my head hurts because your head hurts right or i'm tired because astra's tired or something that like physical body state i think perhaps but it does seem to be i mean i think once you get into the weeds here everyone has their own definition right because sentience does mean touch or can in in certain definitions. But sentience also means like consciousness. So it kind of depends on who you're asking, basically.
1: I think the idea of it being linked to like physical empathy is really interesting. I haven't actually looked it up, but I think there could be some evidence for that. The the idea of kind of shared pain and I think it's called effective empathy at least for like emotional pain. Um that is something that's that's backed up and I could maybe see Um, a reason for it because we're social creatures. Yes, it's...
0: But is that not just like... Okay, here's like a hot take. (laughs) Is empathy not just like a kind of cold reading? I mean, you kind of reading what another person is feeling and then mirroring that back to them in order to be able to kind of make them feel comfortable in in engaging with you. I mean, to me, when people say that they're empaths, I'm like, okay, so you're just really good at reading people. Like that's, I mean, that's great. That's like a good social skill to have, but is it really like a separate thing? That's kind of how I feel about like clairsentience and claircognizance is it's just how well you can read other people and take social cues as like a human being. It is all based in the physical. And I think that if you're really good at reading people, then you probably might think that you are claircognizant or clairsentient. Um, And if you're not, then you'll probably think you are. I'm not. I can't read social cues based on the life of me, at least not in like in real life. But that's kind of my take on that is it. I think gut feeling can have a, a role to play, but I also think our gut is informed by environment, right? So, you maybe don't necessarily recognize that you are kind of processing these other signals that then lead to a gut feeling of whatever it might be. But even that it's coming from your environment to kind of reading a person or a situation that then leads to a feeling of what you need to do.
1: I guess I'm just thinking yeah. of like how you would separate empathy from like clairsentience. So I'm thinking maybe it has to be like a time gap. So maybe if I like wake up at like five in the morning and then I have a like really clear image of Astra in my head and I have a splitting headache. And then I, I check my discord like at, at later on when I know that she's awake and I find out that she actually heard yesterday. I'm like, oh my God. Like that I think would be more psychic. Whereas I think if you're just mm-hmm. reading somebody's emotions, like that is, yeah, maybe a little bit more mundane in nature.
2: I agree. Like there are definitely, like I'm really good at predicting situations. I've had some people feel like, who are like, woo, who are like, oh, are you sure you're not? I'm like, no, I'm just traumatized. <laughs> that's why I'm really good at it. Like the, I, there have been times where it's like uncanny, but I know ultimately that it's based in a survival mechanism, right? My own family history of my grandmother has been doing things like that, of trying to predict everyone's emotions to keep them happy. It's kind of part of part of my DNA. I don't know, it's just something like that sort of hypervigilance, that, that, that's sort of part of my family culture of being hypervigilant. And I think some people who grow up mundanely, or not mundanely, because that sounds like mundane over magical or whatever, um, people who grow up in a, in a healthy environment or a stable environment are often not that way. Or if they, ha- like, in even if you grew up in a stable environment, if you had, like, a Traumatic relationship of any sort or a traumatic situation of any kind, that hypervigilance sticks with you. And you don't need to have PTSD to have hypervigilance. Hypervigilance is just a symptom of PTSD. But hypervigilance is just sort of something that happens out of
0: trauma. Which I actually think leads me to another question, which is whether the if someone maybe experiences one clear sense more than another, is a simply heightened perception based on traumatic experiences in the past, or is is it actually psychic and or like divine interference i mean that's the other like if you really take it purely kind of physical or even energetical model into perspective here you could argue that all of the clear senses are simply senses that have been heightened based on past previous experience hmm
2: because I, I think for me, it's less like, so for example, when I experience the Claire's quote unquote, I don't really even like using that term, but I'll just roll with that. It's not like I'm walking down the street and suddenly I smell the scent of hyacinths, even though it's February. It's not something that it's, it's more like if I'm already in like a state of trance and I hear a rushing waterfall or feel the spray of water on my face. It's, it's not heightening the senses that are currently happening. That's why I use the term mind's eye instead of other terms in that it's it's and it's not even like I feel actually like feeling these things in the physical plane. It's more of my spiritual body is experiencing them. And I don't even know how I quite feel about any sort of like soul projection, astral projection. I'm not even sure how I entirely feel about that, but I think there is something with like trance work journeying guided visual meditations yeah there's it's almost like it helps to like separate you you from your current like reality and into a more spiritual reality
1: yeah if anything it's almost this isn't the case for all trance states but it's almost like it separates you from your your physical senses right in some ways so your it's almost like your your sort of mental senses are are heightened because you can you've quieted the, the the physical ones so that's kind of almost like the opposite of what Esther was
0: saying, which is quite interesting. But to counter, to counter you here, yeah, doesn't that I'm playing devil's advocate just, just so everybody knows? Doesn't those kind of memory, like that feeling of like water spraying on your face, or like seeing a waterfall and linking your mind's eye. That stems from previous experience and you're essentially, I mean, it's, it's memory recollection. You know what it feels like. And so then your brain creates the sensory experience for you in that particular moment. So is it the clearest or is it just your brain taking what you've experienced, what you know, and applying it in a less like real situation?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, in one of the discourse room, people always say all oh, magic is LARP, right? <laughs> um, and like there, there is something to that, though, if you've ever so like I grew up as like I went to a theater arts high school. And so we grew up doing like a lot of visualization exercises and there's a form of theater acting called the Stanislavski technique. So basically the Stanislavski technique is like, say I have a cup on of water on stage, but I need to pretend that it's a cup of tea. I use memory recall to like visualize like, like blowing on it and like how my body interacts with a hot cup of tea, even though the thing I'm touching is cold. So that's why I don't think it's like, that's why I don't really like the terms, Clair audience or clairvoyance. Like I, prefer to use the term mind's eye because they are all stemming ultimately from my mind's experience, right? Or my experience. It's so hard to describe because I feel like I'm treading into territory of like, what is the divine? I kind of see like the divine comes to you in a way that is most familiar to you, right? There are thousands of sounds we've heard throughout our lifetimes, thousands of things that we have felt and touched. So I don't necessarily think any of it is like new. It's it's not beyond. That's why I don't necessarily like about clairvoyance or clairaudience. It's not beyond, it's within, which is why I use mind's eye instead of any other term does that make sense
1: <laughs> yeah it, it, it really does i think what this discussion is making me realize is that i think i fall into the camp of seeing specifically clairs as those kind of unbidden experiences so that's you know that is when you're like walking along the street and you suddenly have you know xyz happen to you or you wake up in the middle of the night and you have this like vision of somebody or you know those things which are kind of out of the blue Whereas I think that trance work and journeying, I know that people refer to them as clairs, but I think that of them are slightly different. They may, maybe are influenced by the same things, if you believe that they are divinely influenced, and I think I personally do. But one of them is a little bit more due to your kind of personal sensitivity, and another one is maybe something that you, you train and that you bring to yourself and that you can engage in more readily by learning how to silence your mind. I don't know what you think about that. I've just kind of pulled this out of my bottom after our discussion.
0: Well then let's let's move on to the very last question for the episode before we close it out. Do you think these abilities can be trained? Like do you think you can develop psychic ability, whether it be in the sense of clairs or or something else?
2: Yeah, so what I'm taking away from this just from this discussion is kind of similar to Henny in that I'm realizing that I often use the clairs to myself and to others as a shorthand for what I actually mean. Because I don't think true wake up in the middle of the night clairvoyance can be trained or targeted seeing beyond is another matter and something I'm still trying to figure out if I believe in people talk about like training yourself to see spirits I'm not sure if that's possible but I think certainly like your mind's eye can be trained given that you don't have aphantasia which granted a lot I think a lot of people have low clairvoyance or low inner mind's eye and so they assume that they have aphantasia i have a very weak inner mind's eye i'm i suck at pulling up visual memories of things but i am great at touch sound and taste which is weird um so that's just a sidebar you might you might just actually be good at visualizing a different sense and and not visual because i suck at visual i think yeah i think it's, it's a case of terms being all lumped together clairvoyance itself means like eight different things and then you have mind's eye visualization I feel like they all get lumped together and now yeah I feel like I've come away with more questions <laughs> this episode
0: I think uh, yeah I really struggle with this because like the whole idea to me of seeing beyond isn't really a thing because I don't think we as humans are capable of actually seeing beyond I think what happens more so is that we are provided information, whether it be from divinity or spiritual, whatever you want to call it. We are provided information in senses that we recognize physically based on experience that are heightened at a given moment. And they could be heightened for other reasons from previous experiences, traumatic experiences, you know, what have you. But to me, it's less of seeing beyond and it's more of I want to say receiving because it sounds like a freaking download thing getting hints in in a physical sense where it's like more obvious kind of those surprise moments where it's like something happens and you're like oh I wasn't expecting that but maybe I need to take a second look at it yeah i feel like this episode has created more questions that i need to like work through <laughs> than it did answer anything but yeah i'm definitely on the the side of kind of more like it's a physical enhancement or it's taking an ex- taking something from your environment that your brain isn't able to fully process because it's perhaps beyond our, our capabilities to do so. And instead it takes it and it redirects it into a sense that you recognize, but it might do so strongly because it's unable to process it in any other way. And that maybe is what causes some of these experiences. Um, I think that's where I've ended up, which is definitely a more skeptic view of the clears, but- yeah there you go is anyone surprised probably not so I think that's the end of the episode are there any other final thoughts before we close it out
1: yeah I was going to mention mindfulness uh, because I think yeah kind of coming back to those like random experiences maybe maybe we insert this before (laughs) our discussion but yeah coming back to those sort of random experiences that come to you kind of unbidden I guess I can think of maybe a mindfulness practice a meditation practice maybe making you more aware more present in the moment more sensitive to the things around you and so in that sense those things can be trained because you can train your ability to recognize certain signals from around you and if you subscribe to maybe um, a more animist model maybe you 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 perceive that as kind of ability to interface with the spirits around you or be more sensitive to the kind of spiritual world because those things are kind of not separated from one another if you if you subscribe to such a model as for training psychic ability in the sense of like being able to guess things more, more readily. I, I, yeah, I think that that's nonsense as far as science goes and I, yeah, mind's eye, I think is something different again, but I too have been left with more questions than answers.
0: I like how you describe that as like being more receptive to your surroundings. That's definitely more of like what I was talking about.
2: I guess my final thought that I finally remembered is that like, we do see culturally and cross-culturally like examples of like in Jainism of clairvoyance and even with Pythagoras and this is true in in like certain Buddhist tales as well of like being able to physically being able to see beyond but I think the key thing that people forget is like a lot of these paradigms in which this happens it's almost it often has to do with like purity of soul or it's some form of enlightenment and that being able to see is 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 a way to tell that you are on the path to enlightenment or or a marker of your spiritual growth yeah so i think that's another thing to keep in mind too is that like the there are spiritual examples it's not all woo but i think it's a lot more complicated it's like been more complicated and then also simplified in a weird way
1: because i didn't want to discuss them on the episode because i don't want to rot your precious little brains but there are some really really bad papers that feature The Quantum Theory Behind Clairvoyance. And I would love for you to read them. So I'm going to link them in the Discord if anybody would like to partake in horribleness. And I'm sorry to take away from Fel's very profound final point, (laughs) which I rather enjoyed, Um, but just while I remember.
0: And we will. So you can read those papers, but keep in mind that there will be an episode where Astra just destroys everything quantum-based because she hates it in so many ways. Uh, But that's for another episode at a later date. So thank you so much for sticking around. We really appreciate it. This was kind of a long one. If you haven't already, you can join our Discord, which will be linked in the episode description. And follow us on Instagram for updates on when episodes are being posted. We also usually give little hints a couple days before we post an episode about what it's going to be about, if you want to kind of try and guess where we're going with things. But until then, we'll see you next time. Have a great day, everybody.